the verses that we're going to be focusing on for the lesson are, in fact, Hebrews 13, 12 through 14. Uh, I appreciate the song that was led because certainly this, this passage focuses on maybe on Jesus, but maybe an aspect of Jesus that we don't really totally understand all the time or think about maybe as commonly as some other roles or things that Jesus was able to accomplish and fulfill in his time here and in God's plan. But Hebrews 13, uh, I'm certainly uh, not an expert on everything in the Bible. That's obvious. Um, But I've, I've always really appreciated Hebrews 13 just because it, for some reason, has kind of stuck out to me, even though it's not a very big section that we're focusing on this morning. I think the first time I ever noticed this section, I don't remember when that was, but it's always just kind of struck me and stuck with me. So it's a section of verses I like to think about from time to time. I've been in my own personal reading going through like Numbers and Deuteronomy lately. Um, so it just made me think about this passage even more because it is a favorite of mine. And so, But certainly, we're not going to hit on everything that this verse could mean and does mean and all the things that uh, we could apply from it. And there's probably even things that are in this and are intended by this that I don't even see yet. Um, So certainly if there's something like that, let me know after the lesson. I'd be interested to hear what you think about it. Um, But with that said, there's certainly something I do want to focus on from this passage that I think helps us maybe appreciate Jesus more, but also gives us something to work on in our lives. And so certainly on a, when we're all gathered together, those are the two things we want to do, right? Help us appreciate what God's done for us and then also give us some sort of point or application that we can be trying to put on in our lives. Uh, So with Hebrews 13, I just want to read the text again just to keep it fresh in our mind because we will kind of bounce around to some places in the Old Testament to kind of help uh, this imagery stand up. Verse 12 reads, So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore let us go out to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. All right. So Hebrews, we don't know who wrote it for sure, right? Um, But obviously as you read the book, and if you're familiar with Hebrews, you see that the audience are Christians, right? Um, That are Jewish by culture and by uh, upbringing. Um, And so a lot of the book of Hebrews centers on uh, old law Levitical imagery, Right, that they would have been familiar with and how Jesus fulfills and really is the fulfillment of that uh, culture and that system and how he ends up being better than those things. And so when we get to Hebrews 13, which is towards the end of the book, we have this statement made and it's kind of this synopsis of kind of what Jesus did in terms of how it would relate to the um, Israelite camp. Um, and so with this, I kind of want us to turn to a couple places in the Old Testament, um, just to kind of help us get this understanding, if you would turn to Numbers 2 and 3, certainly we're not going to read this, because if you remember Numbers 2 and 3, it gets pretty repetitive reading through this, but it's just laying out how Israelites, as they were led by God in Exodus chapter 13, were told that God is leading with a, a, a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. He's leading them to where he wants to take them, right? Which ultimately we know to be Canaan, right? The land that he promised uh, to them and to their forefathers before. But 
on the way, right, God has them arranged in a certain way, right? And we understand that that is with um, the tabernacle in the middle, with the Levites and their four companies in certain positions immediately around that tabernacle. And then further out from them, by north, east, south, and west, we have certain camps of the Israelites, and we're there to be, right? And they're divided up by their 12 tribes. And that's what Numbers 2 and 3 describes, is that whole setup. And what is to be their camp, we might call it, right? The camp of the Israelites, which would have numbered, you know, one and a half million or something like that. Um, so it was, a, it was a big deal for this, this large group to be setting out, following this fire or this cloud, and then camping each time they stopped in a very specific way. But that's the imagery that's evoked kind of when you mentioned the camp in Hebrews 13. That might be what you think of, and I think that's fitting, right? Because that's what was occurring in those times. But I also think, um, as we look at Hebrews 13, there's this idea that the camp eventually becomes permanent. Right? We might say they permanently encamp in a city that becomes known as Jerusalem. The, the temple kind of becomes the permanent tabernacle, right? And then you have the city being the place of God, and that's where the kings would rule out of. And, and so you kind of have that imagery as well from the Old Testament that Jerusalem becomes sort of, even though not exactly like the camp as they were heading to Canaan, kind of the permanent residence of God and his people dwelling in that area. And so... Hebrews 13 evokes this imagery and this thought, but I want to consider beyond just what literally the camp was, what it offered. Um, I think it's fair to say that in a camp, particularly out of necessity when you camp with other people, you're doing it for safety, right? I mean, that's just kind of a practical reason, right? That We say that there's safety in numbers, right? I think it would make sense for God to say arrange in camps in a certain way and you're going to gather together, right? It would be kind of a natural thing to do. If you're a people with a common purpose, well, let's stick together, right? Um, and that's the way it was. So I think it's fair to say that the camp offered some semblance of safety, right? You felt safer in numbers. Um, and there's no Bible verse that says God did this because of safety, but I think that's kind of a natural outcropping of what a camp is, right? Um, also as well, you have fellowship, right? A beautiful thing about having a camp is you have other people with you. And so you're not totally alone when you're out in the woods, right? Um, and so I think there's an offer of fellowship in the camp. You have safety in numbers, but with those numbers, you also have an opportunity to meet people, get to know people, have some sort of fellowship. Um, there's also comfort in the camp, right? Um, I like to hike and stuff, and it's always nice to be able to come to a camp site because that usually offers something for me outside of just the trail in the woods, right? There's maybe a fire pit or a restroom or something there that's being offered that's more comfortable than if I had just set up on the trail somewhere. And so I think it makes sense for a camp to offer some sense of comfort, right? That comfort may be something like there's people around, and that's all it is. It may be something more that there's a shelter, that there's a place. But generally, camps offer comfort. And we see that making sense even with God's people. There was comfort in the camp. Uh, but ultimately, I want to turn to Deuteronomy chapter 23 for this. Um, and this is really the main point that I want us to see in this for right now. Is that the camp offered something that outside of the camp wasn't available to them. Not in this way, at least. Deuteronomy 23, look at verse 14. Because the Lord your God walks in the midst of your camp, 
right? Just this phrase, I know I'm plucking it kind of out of this chapter, half a sentence or whatever, but the point of that is, I just wanted to say, in Deuteronomy 23, he says a lot of things, and it's because God is in the camp with them, right? And we're going to talk more about this chapter, so I'm not going to leave it hanging there for the whole lesson, but the idea is that God comes out and says that he intends to be in the camp. Right? That was the idea of the tabernacle, right? And the priest dwelling immediately around the tabernacle because God was in the middle, literally, of their camp. Um, and as he says here, he walks in the midst of it, kind of evoking a Garden of Eden type of imagery almost. And so I think that's really important that when we see God evoking this imagery in Hebrews of this camp, it's this place where the Israelites would be, and there's a lot of them, there's safety and there's comfort, but the primarily, primary thing is that God is in the camp, right? That's where God is. And so for all of history, um, there, God's either in the camp or as we see in Jerusalem, he's in Jerusalem, he's in the temple, right? That's a big deal. So it's always a big deal to be where God is dwelling. God's people want to be in that place, right? And so it makes sense that God is in the camp. Alternately, What's outside of the camp? We have a little bit more about this, um, more specifically, in God's Word here. In Deuteronomy 23, right before what we just read, uh, we, look at verse 12 with me. You shall have a place outside the camp, and you shall go out to it. And you shall have a trowel with your tools, and when you sit down outside, you should dig a hole with it and turn back and cover up your excrement. All right, so we might say trash or refuse is outside the camp, right? You don't, you don't do that inside the camp. I think even today we've kind of practiced that, right? You don't do that inside the camp. You go out of the camp and do that. And so God gives that instruction, right? So gross stuff, trash, refuse, outside the camp. Excrements outside the camp. What else is outside the camp? Uh, look in Leviticus. Leviticus chapter 13. And then verse 45. The leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose and he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He's unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. So not only do you have this trash or this refuse outside the camp, you have the leprous or the sick people are dwelling outside of the camp. Right. Look in Le- uh, Leviticus 24. So you have the refuse, you have the diseased, and then in Leviticus 24, we'll read in verse 13. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Bring out of the camp the one who is cursed, and let all who heard him lay their hands on his head, and let all the congregations stone him. And speak to the people of Israel saying, Whoever curses his God shall bear his sin. Whoever blasphemes the name of the Lord shall surely be put to death. All the congregation shall stone him. The sojourner, as well as the native, when he blasphemes the name, shall be put to death. And of course, this execution, this death, for this sin here, is done outside of the camp, right? And so you have the trash, the refuse, you have the sick, and you have dead outside of the camp. But ultimately, where we find ourselves is back in Deuteronomy 23, and verse 14 the implication here is, if God is walking in the camp, where is he not? Outside the camp with the trash and the dead people and the diseased people. Um, God's, God's tabernacle wasn't set 
specifically outside of the camp. He wanted the imagery to be that he was in the middle of the camp, that he was walking in the camp. And so I think that's an interesting imagery, right? Now, obviously, we understand that God, you know, is what we say omnipresent, right? I mean, he can kind of be in any place or all places at once, but he wanted people to think about him being in the middle of the camp. Not outside the camp, in the middle of it. And so I think it's interesting that God is not portrayed as being outside of the camp. And I think that's purposeful, and certainly Hebrews 13 is going to explain to why that imagery is important in a way maybe we hadn't realized just in the Old Testament. So it is outside the camp the place that you want to find yourself. Like if you're an Israelite, like, yeah, I want to be out there with the dead and the sick and the excrement. Not really. You want to be in the camp where it's comfortable, where there's fellowship, where God is, where you feel safe. You want to be in the camp. So, turning back to Hebrews 13, why is it that God tells us Jesus chose to go outside of the camp? Now, he's evoking that kind of imagery, right? We understand that Israelites weren't still in this position of having like this camp where certain groups camped on the north side, the east side, south side, west side. Um, But he evokes this imagery talking about Jerusalem, that he left, he went out of Jerusalem, outside of the gate, outside of the camp. Why did Jesus do that? Well, if we turn back to Hebrews 13, I think we're given uh, an answer here. Uh, Going back to verse 11, let's start there. Hebrews 13, verse 11 reads, For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear his reproach or the reproach here. There's a connection being made here that Jesus, just like sin offerings of old, were offered outside of the camp. Jesus, through God's plan, was brought outside of the gate or outside of the camp, as it says in this passage. Um... Uh, And we see in Leviticus 4, um, verses 11 and 12, and then later in that chapter again as it repeats, that that is where the sin offering was offered, um, outside of the camp. It was taken outside of the camp and burned. And so we see Jesus mimicking that, in a sense, that he's brought outside of the camp, and ultimately, as we see Scripture teaching us, that he was the sin offering that was permanent, right? That was forever. Um, Hebrews 10.10 tells us that it was offered once for all, right? Um, And so we see Jesus living up to or fulfilling this imagery of this sacrifice being taken outside of the camp. Why would would he do that? And I think, again, we see the fulfillment of this, um, this fulfillment of this sacrifice. But I think there's also some other reasons why that might be significant, um, in Jesus' day and time, Jerusalem was kind of that place, right? That was where the temple was. There was a wall around the city. So there's this very clear being outside of Jerusalem, right? Because you're outside of the wall, the gate. What this passage even refers to as the camp. Uh, and so I think it's interesting that Jesus goes outside of the camp to be killed and becoming the sacrifice for Christians. And as the Hebrews hear this, what does this mean to them? You know, what does it mean for Jesus to go outside of the camp? Well, the passage here that we're reading says, Therefore, in verse 13, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. 
And so I think it's interesting that God evoking this imagery to people who well understood what it meant to be outside of the camp would ask them to go there, where all traditionally the dead and the sick and the trash was. Um, But they're going there for a very specific reason, and that's because that's where Jesus went. And so the admonishment here, the encouragement here, is to go where Jesus is. Go the place that's not really appealing, not a place you'd really want to go otherwise, right? And go there. And certainly, uh, I think this is really important, because Ephesians chapter 2, if you want to turn there with us, explains maybe one reason why this occurs. Um, Jesus is making... the undesirable place, the desirable place, right? He's making outside of the camp be the cool place to be, the good place to be. Ephesians chapter 2 phrases it this way, if we want to read from verses 13 through 16 here. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. Um, And it continues on, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby thereby killing the hostility. This passage says a whole lot of stuff. Um, There's certainly a lot to glean from it. But I take from this, uh, at least in relation to Hebrews 13, that when Jesus goes outside of the camp and he makes... (coughs) outside of the walls, the place to be, it's now accessible by people that weren't inside the walls, right? That weren't in the camp. And I think um, Ephesians 2 maybe explains a little bit more about how that occurs, why that's important. But we see Jesus tearing down, as we might use this imagery according to Hebrews 13, the wall, right? This dividing place. Um, And so I think that's interesting that as the sacrifice is burned outside the camp, Jesus goes outside the camp and makes that the place you want to be. And thus, the people inside the walls, inside the camp, need to come out and come out to Jesus. And it's a place that anyone can come to, right? Because Jesus has torn down that dividing wall. And he's accessible. Um, all right, and he does that by calling us all outside of the camp. Um, before this, really, we it'd be easy to say that only those inside of the camp could have a relationship with God, right? Only those in Jerusalem, right, could have a relationship with God. And so by Jesus going outside of that camp for the Hebrews, that would have been this Judaism, right, that was represented by walled-up Jerusalem. By Jesus being brought outside and sacrificed outside and God calling us to come outside, He's torn down the dividing wall. Everyone can be outside of the city, but only some could be inside, right? And so he tears down the dividing wall there, and so we see the significance of this in multiple ways. Jesus is the sacrifice. Jesus makes himself accessible in this. Um, And so for the Hebrews, what kind of application would there be for them in this? Uh, If you're a Jewish person and you're a Christian, what exactly is this asking you to consider and to do? I don't know if I understand all the ramifications of this, but these are just a few of the things that came to my mind. Um, It meant that their sacrifice for the camp wasn't inside the camp, right? Just as it wasn't in the past. Um, But it also meant that they now had one sacrifice for all, right? 
It also, I think, by implication here meant that what they understood, what was important to them uh, in their culture and Judaism and their past and in their family was no longer significant. They were called to go outside of what they knew, uh, right, what was inside the camp, and go out of it, right, to go outside of the camp and follow Jesus. And certainly the camp would represent, just as we see in the Old Testament, all of what the Levitical system, all of the old law was in that camp, right? And so to say, go to Jesus outside of the camp, bearing his reproach, is to throw all that aside, right? Um, I mean, that would require them, in in a practical sense, just as we mentioned earlier about the camp involving safety and comfort um, and fellowship, that would more or less involve them kind of getting, throwing that all out the window as well, right? For a Jew to be leaving all of those things, they would be leaving what was safe, right? Um, By familiarity or what was literally safe for them to do. They'd be leaving fellowship, right? If everybody you've ever known is a Jew and operates within the camp, um, you'd be leaving that fellowship. Um, You'd be leaving comfort, right? It's comfortable to stay where you are. It's comfortable to stick with the things you know. It's comfortable to be, as we say for this lesson, inside the camp. But they're going to have to get rid of all that. They're going to have to deprioritize that and prioritize Jesus and his sacrifice and go to him. And so that, that would have been the immediate application, I think, for the Hebrews, um, the, the Jewish people that were listening to this that were Christians. Um, but if Deuteronomy 23, the imagery of God being inside of the camp is true, right? And then he leaves the camp, and now he's saying the place to be is outside of the camp. Ultimately, by giving up comfort, and fellowship, and safety, you're gaining God. You're going outside to where God is. And really, that's what the camp was all about. The camp wasn't centered on the safest spot, as we might determine it. The camp wasn't centered on the most comfortable spot, as we might choose. Nor was it uh, centered on the spot that would lend itself to the most fellowship, right? The camp was where God stopped, and they set the tabernacle. And that's what determined where the camp was, right? And so now we see God doing that again. He takes Jesus, brings him outside of the camp as a sacrifice, and says, this is the new camp, right? And so they were going to be gaining God if they left all this other stuff. And that's what it's always been about, was following God even when he was a cloud of, and a fire <coughs> leading him. Um, so why would we leave the camp, right? So the camp is a little different for us because I'm not, I don't know everybody, and I don't know if anyone even knows entirely, but I don't think any one of us have Jewish families where this is going to be a big deal to leave the Levitical system and all this stuff. But what does it mean for us to see Jesus go outside of the camp? Uh, I think we can still draw some things that are challenges for us out of this, and that are going to be some points of application, and I don't think... These are necessarily even things that we do or understand immediately, but that we can grow in. Um, And I think one thing that we see in this is that similarly, there are ways in which we're going to have to leave the safety and comfort and fellowship of what is familiar, right? And that's ultimately, in a basic sense, what's being asked of Jewish Christians. You're going to have to leave everything kind of you've known if you want to pursue Jesus, because he's not in the place where you are, right? He's outside. And so for us, 
That may not be Judaism, right? That may not be the camp in that sense. But if we don't find ourselves with Jesus outside of the camp, we're going to have to leave something, right? The safety of whatever our beliefs are, the safety of the life that I've lived up to this point, and the friends that I have. That's the fellowship aspect. Maybe the company I keep and the family I have is not where Jesus is. Uh, Maybe the safe thing to do would be to stay where I am, but the right thing to do would be to pursue Jesus, right? Maybe the comfortable thing is to stay with what I'm doing, but the right thing is to seek out Jesus. And ultimately, the proposition is the same as it was for the Hebrew Christians, is that we give up all those things, and there's some challenge in that, because it does say you come out to Jesus, not because it's easy, right? In verse 13, in fact, of Hebrews uh, 13, it reads that you are going to be bearing his reproach. Therefore, let us go outside to him, outside the camp, go to him outside of the camp and bear the reproach he endured. Um, it's, it's a tall task, right? To give up all these things and come out to a place where we're going to be bearing a similar kind of burden that Jesus endured. Um, why would we do all that? Uh, you know, Jerusalem is known as the city of peace, right? That's like its name. Ironically, that city of peace took God outside of that city and killed him. Um, But we aren't looking to dwell in a city of peace now. And I think that's the point that the writer eventually comes to in verse 14. Uh, Why would we we go outside of what's familiar and comfortable and safe? Um, Outside of if we take Jerusalem literally, outside of a peaceful, comfortable city and go pursue Jesus out in a place where we're going to bear reproach. And that's because verse 14 promises, or tells us we don't have a lasting city here, but we seek the city which is to come. Ultimately, that's what motivates me to leave what's safe and peaceful and comfortable now, just as it should have for the Hebrews then, is because where Jesus is, yeah, there's reproach to be born, and maybe it's not a pleasing place to be because sick people and dying people and uh, refuse and trash are usually out there. It's a tough place to be in. But if I'm focused on the city that's to come, not the city that is now, then that's the place that I want to be because that's where God is. Um, and so I think Hebrews 13 is an amazing passage to me just because the more I read the Old Testament, the more it stands out to me that Jesus did this thing. And I think the more we understand who we are um, without God is the more that we'd be willing to go to that place. Um, the Old Testament, is, we read several passages that kind of illustrated what was in the old, in, outside of the camp. The refuse, the sick, the dying. Um, God wasn't really there. That, that's pretty much a spiritual description of who we are without God anyway, right? I mean, we think about like uh, Colossians 1.21, we were alienated, that's far away, not in the camp. We were hostile in mind. Um, Ephesians 2.13 says something very similar. Uh, I can't remember how I quote it here, but Ephesians 2.13, I'll just flip there and read it. Reads, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near. Um, speaking of what happened in verse 1 of chapter 2, where we were, you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, following the course of the world. So I think it's fair to say that in some senses, 
what's pictured outside of the camp is really a spiritual truth now. If we're, if we're not in God, right, we kind of are these sick and dying. Naaman uh, was a story of how he was kind of showing his spiritual state and his leprosy, right? Um, and so if we understand those things about our lives without God that we more or less are going to end up being like the things outside of the camp, then the more willing we are to go to the hard place and bear his reproach for God. And ultimately, it's because we understand eternity in some sense, that this is not permanent. What's permanent is the city that is to come. Um, and so I'd encourage us, you know, just as this message was relevant for the Hebrews, they needed to leave, maybe the specific application was, they need to be ready to leave Judaism because Jesus wasn't there anymore. He was outside of that city. We need to be willing to leave whatever our camp is, wherever we find ourselves that's not God and it's not Jesus, but we are operating within that instead of God. We need to be willing to leave that because that's not permanent. Uh, and where Jesus is may look gross and nasty and may be hard because of the reproach we bear, but ultimately leads us to the city which is permanent. And so I encourage all of us in that. Uh, I appreciate everybody paying attention this morning, and I hope this, this lesson encourages you in some way. In your walk with God, I think most of us here are, are at some place with our walk with God, and we know what Jesus has to offer. We know what God is offering us. So I'd encourage you to examine your relationship with God, and if you don't find yourself uh, with Jesus outside the camp, as it were, um, then that's something that you need to figure out how to fix. Um, and if there's some way that one of us can help you kind of be encouraged and get on the right track with that, then let somebody know this morning because um, we're the people here that are kind of seeking that common goal. And so it would be right for us to be able to try to pray for you and help you in that. Thank you.